Hi, this is Dana Gornell of the Tattoo Buddha, and today uh, I'm here with Michelin Bradley, Mary Stankavage, Aya, and Holly Herring. And we're going to be discussing um, a pretty broad topic, so um, we're not going to be able to discuss everything about this topic, but um, we'd like to touch on a couple of things and possibly follow it up with a series of, of more as we delve into this. Um, so today we're going to be talking about women in Buddhism. Um, and to begin, we started off by asking um, how the people that are here on this panel today came to Buddhism in the first place. So um, I'm just going to go in order what's on my screen right now. So I'm going to start with Michelin. Um, maybe you can tell us um, how you came to Buddhism. Absolutely. Um, I had a bit of a circuitous route to Buddhism. And I was raised Catholic and left that pretty much as soon as I could and went on to um, Unitarian Universalist, which is still a big connection for me. And I actually found myself living just down the street from Deer Park Monastery here in Southern California um, when they first acquired the land there. And I didn't, I went a few times then, but I didn't get really involved until a bit later. Um, and actually it was through starting to read Pema Chodron that got me more hooked. And then I started going to Deer Park, which is a different tradition than Pema Chodron practices and went from there and then was spending a lot of time in LA. And that's where I met Mary Stancavage at Against the Stream. And the rest is kind of history. Mary? Yeah, I was gonna say Mary. Okay, thank you. Uh, yeah, uh, like Michelin, I was also raised Catholic, went to Catholic school for 13 years, but it never landed with me. It didn't, it was basically pretty meaningless. And so I was kind of actually quite dismissive of anyone who had any kind of belief system or, or, or spirituality. I was like, whatever. Um, until later in my life, in my early 30s, uh, I started looking towards something, started to approach um, that question differently, more in a, from a spiritual path. And I was trying to find, I was very interested in meditation and tried all kinds over the years, this and that, but nothing landed until I wandered into an insight community. And that just kind of went, it just exploded for me. And, and I found my home in insight. I was also, uh, my first, attraction to Buddhism. I'd read stuff over the years, what was a book by Pema Chodron also, which I found very, uh, really, I resonated with the, the teachings uh, or what she was saying, but the, the practice itself was the insight practice for me. So I ended up here. That's great. Um, Aya, would you like to go next? Um, yeah, so uh, my father died when I was 14 and that kind of gave me a premature midlife crisis and I thought what's the meaning of life and 
left home at 15, went to India at 17, discovered the Dharma in a Tibetan Buddhist context and um, became a nun at 23. And yeah, so it meant a lot to me to just realize that I had suffering, I wasn't suffering, to realize I could um, step out of my, you know, thoughts and feelings. Like, obviously you want to not disassociate, but to realize you have some choice over what you think and, and, and how you approach suffering and emotions. I was completely drowning in it, you know, with the death of my father. So finding the Dharma um, meant a great deal to me and the, um, the compassion and resilience of the Tibetan people were, um, you know, touched me profoundly, even though later on I had some other challenges. Yeah. As a nun. Thank you. How about Holly? I, uh, I was one of those kids who was raised when there was religion in the house. It was a basic non-denominational Christian uh, religion. Uh, but I didn't stay with my family of origin forever. Uh, I eventually you know, went out into the world and encountered a bunch of uh, trauma and difficulty. And I wound up with a guy who I call my father. His name is Mickey Herring. And he had a lot of books and he kind of was similar to me in, in the way our minds worked and the way we handled our, our childhoods. And he had books for me to read there and he kind of embraced more of a, um, he believed in God, but he also very much was a Buddhist at heart and in nature. And as strange for a guy coming out of New Jersey, uh, but it worked and he introduced it to me. And for me as a kid who was really struggling with trying to sort out what was, what was actually normal after a life of trauma, um, finding Buddhism then was kind of a grounding thing for me. And I kind of took it and ran with it more than he did. And uh, ended up taking precepts in, in Florida, in Tampa Bay in 92, I think. And uh, when I came back to California, uh, you know, joined uh, some temples here out of Taiwan and then, you know, moved through my life. But it always was a very um, central part of me that kind of the other parts of me were created from and offshoots of. Okay. Um, personally, for me, um, I'm still finding my way, but um, I think the earliest I started becoming in contact with Buddhism was um, just as, as a parent, as a mom, you know, just feeling overwhelmed. And I remember just Googling um, mindful parenting practices, which led me to an Elephant Journal article, which led me to become an editor for Elephant Journal eventually, which led me to starting the Tattoo Buddha. So it just kind of, I, I sort of fell into everything just accidentally. <laughs> um, and I'm still falling. So <laughs> that, that's just basically how I came to it. Um, what about traditions? Um, what, what traditions do you guys practice? 
Um, why don't we start with Mary? What tradition do you practice, Mary? Insight tradition, um, early early Buddhism, pretty much is what I I I land in, which is comforting to me. I I appreciate a lot of Thich Nhat Hanh, um, and I appreciate um, the idea of the Bodhisattva, but my I land primarily in early 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 Buddhism. Currently, I am. Uh entrenched in secular buddhism which seems to fit my personality more i have this like disbelief in god i guess in any kind of deity but i spent the majority of my buddhist years with uh, the Kuo Guang Shang, which is a pure land in, in chan tradition out of uh, southern southern taiwan here it's a uh, like buddha's light international association and it's a humanistic buddhism how about aya i'm i believe tibetan um, yeah, so I actually belong to a tradition called the Mahayana forest tradition, um, which is like a, a kind of mix of um, early Buddhist teachings, Theravada and, um, you know, northern India, Nalanda tradition, like a lot of Tibetan Buddhist influences. Um, I just moved out of Tibetan Buddhism um, for some significant reasons, which I won't go into right now. But yeah, that's what I belong to. But I did um, gain a, a lot of inspiration from Tibetan Buddhism and, um, and, and also one of my mentors who's a Theravadan monk. So I have kind of a mix, but for sure, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh is my primary teacher and my primary, um, that, is, that is the practice with which I feel most at home even though sometimes I find that I kind of do little circles around it. Um, and I've been doing a lot more reading on, you know, early women in Buddhism. I, I'm very strongly drawn to women in Buddhism and women in Buddhist practice. Um, and I know that that's something that we're going to to get into a little bit more, but I feel like we only have been presented with part of the story. And that's part of the reason why I feel like it's important for us to have these conversations is because we only get part of the story. And we're not gonna complete the entire cycle of it, but we can at least fill in a little bit of the crack. Can you elaborate on what you mean by part? Not yet. You can tell us about your practice and where you feel like you fall. But I yeah, I will. A good, I thought that was a good segue. But um, right. yeah, I again, I'm still finding myself. Um, I uh, I probably lean more secular more than anything, only because um, I am a horrible decision maker, and I like little bits of everything. Um, and there's parts that I don't like. <laughs> so I'm not saying that that's a permanent decision for me, but as of right now, I kind of lean more secular. Um, but I'm, I'm still searching. So, but um, I would like to hear more about your opinion, Michelin, about you're saying that it's part of the story because, um, you know, one of the things that you know, we see in a lot of Buddhism is, is we do see um, 
I guess, you know, you see a lot of the male representation in Buddhism and, and you mentioned that that's only part of the story. So could you just explain what you meant by that? So if you even look at the story of the Buddha's enlightenment, um, a lot of times the story that you hear is, you know, he saw these things and he went out and he, you know, did this work and, you know, he realized that, you know, only eating one grain of rice a day was too far off. And, you know, the whole piece about the middle path. And, you know, what you don't hear is that, you know, there was a woman who came and said, you know, basically like eat something and I kind of view it in the Italian grandmother sense like eat something you know like what are you doing with the crazy like eat something um maybe that's too stereotypical I don't know I have anyway um and you know also the story about him sitting under the tree under the Bodhi tree and the the armies of Mara coming and the final, you know, the final piece was doubt. And according to some of the stories, you know, he reached down and touched the earth and called out to the river goddess and the river goddess rose up and wrung out her hair and washed away the washed away doubt. So it wasn't just him. And I like that. I like that piece about the goddess being there too um because that's also part of my tradition of sort is is that more you know goddess-based piece to it um, and i think that in all of the centuries of buddhism being you know, an oral tradition, much like any other. I think that a lot of the women get written out. And we see that in other belief systems as well. But I think that women get written out a lot. So how would you say, um, for everybody who's here right now, how would you say women are represented in your tradition? Um, I'll start with Aya. How are women represented in your tr tradition so far? <laughs> um, so the so-called new tradition that I formed is very small. So there's no issue with how women are represented, but there's also not a lot of male participation. Um, I probably should speak more to Tibetan Buddhism, which, you know, I was involved in for 20 years. Um, I was also ordained as a nun, uh, fully ordained nun by Thich Nhat Hanh, And I found women in that tradition Let's just say I, I am non-sectarian and draw from many traditions. In that tradition, women are well represented. And um, Sister Chang Kong, who is um, Venerable Thich Nhat Hanh's right-hand woman, um, is so outspoken and brave and courageous and appreciated, celebrated. Um, and yeah, in Tibetan Buddhism, the archetype of the sacred feminine, you know, that goddess element is there and women's um, wisdom 
is said to be one of the essential elements of awakening. And actually Padmasambhava said um, that if a woman is virtuous and wise, her capacity for realizing intuitive primordial wisdom is superior because of women's access to their intuition and their innate, you know, emotions and so forth. I mean, let's also acknowledge that gender is a, is a spectrum, not a binary, but, but the paradox of that is, you know, in reality, like there's all these, there's all these statues and pictures of female saints from the past, but the reality of how that plays out is um, there is one nunnery to every 10 monasteries um, and you know, when nuns don't have as much training or resources or access to teachings. So how that is lived out and who has the power, who sits on the throne, it's still men, you know, and I think basically it comes down to when anything is good and there is some power and value there, the powers that be try to, the state try to appropriate it, which is what, you know, patriarchy has colonized Buddhism and spirituality in general. Um, and I, I see some changes happening slowly, but not nearly fast enough. Um, and there are some fairly inspirational teachers, female teachers, like um, uh, Jetsun Matenzen Palmo and um, Kandra Rimshe, who is a, a Tibetan nun. Um, well, there's many Kandros, you know, which just means Dakini, uh, in, in so-called embodiments of feminine wisdom. Um, but you know, really literally you can count them on your hand, whereas there are like thousands of so-called rimshes. So it is still, there is still a burden of patriarchy that we need to undo. But I, I do see many women realizing that, especially with the Me Too, how they came out. So hopefully we're slowly questioning our allegiance to male dominated structures and starting to support each other and support, um, women, especially women in developing countries you know, who don't have as much freedom and, and resources as we do, which is why I started a charity in India for, for women and children, for Buddhist women. You know, there are a lot of Buddhist women there in India. So I think it's changing, but very slowly. And I certainly experienced as a nun, a lot less support, a lot of homelessness, a lot of obstacles, you know. Um, so I think as a nun, you're more in this so-called system so you, you know, as a lay woman, you have a lot of choice about which centers you go to, which teachers you listen to, you have your own income, your income isn't tied to a patriarchal tradition, your education and housing isn't tied to a patriarchal tradition. Well, it is, but to a lesser extent, whereas if you're in a nun, if you're in nun, you're in the system, so to speak. So that's why for me as a woman, it's hard not to, not to acknowledge the problem of patriarchy in my life as a nun, because it's had a huge impact. And, and I do, um, and I've become much more outspoken about the need for women to help revive the sacred feminine and to stand up for equality. So hopefully things are changing. We'll be sure to add the charity in the show notes when we get this published too. So I'll make sure I get the proper link to add to that. Um, how about you, Mary? How do you see in the insight uh, tradition, how are women generally represented? In um, the Buddha, in his time, he his his stepmother, Mahapajapati, uh, went to him with 500 other women 
to and asked to become ordained and he you know he refused uh, three times until um he finally said okay and uh so then they were ordained and they all became enlightened so it's not that women couldn't become enlightened so there is that image and that awareness however um there are some rules uh where women nuns bhikkhunis uh a bhikkhuni who has been ordained for 40 years still has to step back for a monk who's only been ordained for a day perhaps so there's it started out in this second second class kind of uh manner and that's that's gone down through the the centuries and um <clears throat> if we're talking about strictly the bhikkhus and monks and the bhikkhunis and nuns then it said that the bhikkhunis died their lineage the continuity died out about a thousand years ago and so you can't have any fully ordained nuns to this day but that has started to change um because some people did some research and said no you can actually follow the lineage around to um southeast asia or to east asia and korea i think and and that it is uh it is full ordination is available to bikunis and so that battle is raging right now with some some um people uh the changes are happening and so that is starting to happen but similar to um but it's again entrenched in the patriarchy there's the there's the teachings and then there's the, the society in which you have to operate so they're they're both and so they 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 clash a lot of the time and um there's also you know in the in the early buddhist text the Theragata, which are the poems of the of the elder women and that i i hear about that very rarely i'm aware of it and those beautiful 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 poems of these women who lived around the time of the buddha that don't often get you don't often hear about them they they kind of get left to the side so to lift those up um is important so that's kind of this this right now what's going on is this back and forth and back and forth and this struggle um i asked a i asked a, a friend of mine who ordained and i said because i'm just like if you knew it was like this why did you ordain and she said i didn't think it would be this bad i did, i really didn't and so um it is a struggle um but she has founded a, a monastery in um belgium and it's um you know with and had to fight for a lot and and she identifies as non-binary and so there's all these changes that are happening that are really beautiful um but the struggle that we all have in this patriarchy is is happening um in when the Theravada insight tradition got to the United States, it became very lay. Um, it was a, a very lay focus. It was, it was it was taken out of the monastic tradition, and there's a lot. So, but so there's a lot more uh, representation as teachers uh, as women teachers um, in the states, and I think probably UK um, than there there than um, the traditional bikuni bikus who are just all male all male all male so that's a, a little bit different that's happening that that's a 
that's a that's a good representation um, for me coming into this through that that uh, pathway. I was able to see oh, there's some people here, and then learning later about this other history that needs to be worked. Yeah, that's um, a good point. Bringing up non-binary too, because that's that's a whole other, you know, it honestly it's not new, but it it is new at the same time. I think it's being more recognized, which is what's new. Um, so that's I know we uh, we had somebody write for us um, a few years ago. Now um, it was um, a transgender nun had written about her experiences um in buddhism and being a nun and everything so that's that's a whole other topic we could go into um how about you holly where do you see um i know you mentioned you're a little more secular but you've got some pure land in there how do you see uh women representation there so i you know i kind of straddled two worlds if you've if you've read anything i write i really lean heavily on the symbolism and stories from the mahayana tradition that i came through as they were told there, like, you know, out of Taiwan. And that was the major temple is in Taiwan. There are minor, minor temples here. So the, the minor temple in San Diego is actually has uh, three venerables who operate that, they're nuns. So Mahayana traditions didn't lose that lineage. And that I think coming through there, and I think it was very beneficial for me if, to come through that tradition from my family background as well, and, and having like a distrust of women and not being very connected, and being able to see women represented in these positions was helpful to uh, kind of make, it was more normal. I think if I had come up in a place where women were not represented in that way, I might have a different opinion. So uh, there were a, a lot of, a lot of duns and, while it's not a perfect system, obviously, it was something that seemed very normal to me. I didn't realize that that wasn't the standard all throughout Buddhism. Uh, when I moved into secular Buddhism is when I, I learned more about things were happening. And secular Buddhism is more about um, doing than believing. So you kind of take a lot of the um, hell realms, um, all of the things out of there, and it it tends to be fairly social justice um, motivated in a lot of ways. And that was also an easy transition for me because I'm very much social justice uh, kind of queen over here. Um, so I was fortunate to come up with really pretty good examples of having women in leadership positions and uh, securing roles around me that it, that it felt more natural for me, which I think helped me culturally. As well. Sorry, I, I had to hit my my unmute <laughs> and I couldn't do it fast enough. There. So sorry for the pause there. Um, Mishlan, did you want to add to how it's how it's represented in your tradition? I, um, you know, I heard a lot of you know my tradition discussed and the people that I really you know follow and look up to mentioned by Aya and Mary and Holly. Um, I, I love Tetsuma, Tetsuma Tenzin Palmo um, so much. Like, I just think she's fantastic. Um, 
I named my dog after her. I have a Tibetan Mastiff named Tenzin after Jetsuma Tenzin Palmo. Um, so there's that. Um, Sister Chonkong is hilarious. And I, every time I've been in her presence, I have been just kind of overwhelmed at knowing her story and, you know, seeing how she is like no nonsense and such a powerhouse. And so many other women in, you know, the Plum Village tradition, um, there's one nun in particular who is at Deer Park. Um, her name is Sister Kim Yen, but we call her Sister Chicken. And she's like, she's just fantastic. Um, so I, and of course, like Pema Children. And I find that in seeking out you know, women in the traditions, I find them. And as has been mentioned before, like, as I am mentioned, you know, you can find hundreds of, you know, men teachers and far fewer women, um, but they're there. So I just keep them out. Yeah, absolutely. Um... Honestly, I before we started recording this, um, we were discussing, you know, how we wanted to go about this this discussion today. And Mary brought up that, you know, in our our little group here, we are all white, and so this is um, not even a very large representation at all. It's uh, we could definitely do better. So it, it's. Um, it's something that we do see a lot. You know, we see a lot of a lot of male, white male representation in this, and it's um, it's a little bit daunting that you have to sometimes search to be able to find a more varied representation. So, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. <laughs> um, so, is there anybody? I know we've already brought up a lot of names here. Um, a lot of names, but is there anybody that that you really look up to that kind of drew you to this, um, to, to Buddhism or to to the tradition you practice? Is there anybody that really sticks out? I don't know who would want to volunteer first. I uh, I volunteer you. Do you mean women or people in general? People in general. I mean, I think Thich Nhat Hanh was pretty much as close as you'll get to a bodhisattva. Um which for those who don't know is like a, a person who is on the path to becoming a Buddha, who's taken a vow to compassionately serve and develop boundless altruism to liberate all beings. Um, and I think he was extremely progressive, you know, cause he also acknowledged that, um, you know, tr his tradition needed a bit of a, a re revitalization, you know, within, Vietnam some people view him as quite controversial whereas we just think oh cool he's pretty uh 
you know, love and peace. At the time, he was quite a firebrand and he was literally, you know, banned from returning to um, Vietnam. So I think it's, um, we have this fear in Buddhism of anger, fear of being seen as emotional, like you're a bad practitioner if you feel things or if you are assertive and take a stand against something, you're being dualistic or you're being angry. Um, but I think it's all about skill, upaya, skillful means, you know, to, to be passive in the face of gross injustice is, is not a bodhisattva act. You know, bad things happen when good people do nothing. But it's also that middle road between not um, hating the so-called oppressor or just understanding that people who don't, who are maybe on the wrong side of history are not necessarily purely evil, but just don't have good information or have trauma or, you know, there's complex reasons and that everybody has good in nature and people can change. Um, yeah, I mean, I wish I knew the name of the Japanese monk who was really coined the term um, socially engaged Buddhism because before Thich Nhat Hanh, there was a Japanese monk who is very well known for socially engaged Buddhism. So I really admire him, but I don't know his name. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, there's so many, it's really sad too, but there are so many women in the history of Buddhism whose names will be unknown. Yoginis in caves, you know, and mothers, you know, meditating at home, you know, so many amazing women practitioners unnamed um, who keep, and, you know, it's actually women who keep the tradition going. The, the majority of people who turn up to retreats are women, even in Asia. The majority of people who put food in monks' bowls is women. The majority of people donating money is women. Um, so to all the unnamed women um, who keep the tradition going, you know, in the background, um, maybe it's time we stepped forward and, and demanded that equal representation. You know? um, and, you know, there are wonderful monks um, like Bhante Analio and Bhante Sujato, who is my mentor. Um, he actually got thrown out of his tradition, the Thai Forest tradition, like excommunicated with Ajahn Brahm. And Ayatatha Loka was also instrumental in reviving um, full ordination for women. You know, really put themselves out there for years of struggle to bring that about. Um, and, and the amazing um, women who are part of the Buddhist Society of Western Australia, um, you know, unfortunately we only hear Ajahn Brahm, Ajahn Brahm, but there were so many women behind that, um, the committee of the Buddhist Society of WA, Ayatathaloka, you know, so many nuns and lay women or householder yogis is maybe a more respectful term um, who are behind that. So, yeah, there are, there are so many people that I've met and who have inspired me to um, Im improve things for women. And the Dalai Lama has also done a lot. I mean, there's some things he could have done more on, like full of nation for women, but he has uh, funded a lot of nunneries and um, promoted the Geshema, um, which is like a doctorate of divinity for women. So he has done a lot as well. I think it's interesting how you you brought up Aya that women are the ones that that keep it going. Um, I that's a thought I had before we started this. I was making dinner earlier, 
and I was getting texts from my daughter who is at college um, asking me if I could find something in her desk drawer here at home and the dog was wanting out and um, my son had a question and I was thinking like it seems like women always have this role of whether it's whether you're a parent or not it, it doesn't have to be just a parent but it just seems like it falls on us where we're doing this all of the time and, and for those that can't see what I'm doing I'm sort of doing this juggling motion with my hands um, because I just feel like we can be that way we're like the the flow of everything and to keep it always moving so I think that's an interesting comment about women keeping Buddhism going um Holly please speaking of women keeping Buddhism going uh I'm very story centric and I don't really have one woman in Buddhism I look up to but I go back to 2017 uh what was it 19 women out of I believe all Tibet wanted to be ordained and of course without the lineage that was very difficult to do and so the lineage in in uh Taiwan came forth as other women who had been ordained and said hey you know let's let's do this and we had some women from one part of the world that really wanted something and women from another part of the world that had the ability to help make that happen and for me that meant the world because I don't know any of their names like I'm gonna put it out right now talk about unnamed women I don't know any of their names and I couldn't tell you the name of the temple in Taiwan that this was going through but I know as a person who doesn't have strong ties to family or have a real uh, firm uh, feeling of support at times in my life, the idea that women who didn't know each other from other parts of the world came together to make ordination possible for those 19 women, um, that, that means something huge to me. That's interesting. Wow. Um, Mary wanted to say something. I'll take your word for it. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I really appreciate what I'm hearing and um, the inspiration I have. I, I know, Holly, uh, you talked about social justice and, and I've, I'm also inspired by that, that this is not just, a, you know, and I point to Thich Nhat Hanh as well. And, you know, his inspiration in, during the Vietnam War was I can sit in my temple or I can get up and do something. And, and that's so important that it's not just about sitting and 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 meditating it's about ending ending injustice ending harm where we see it and there's so many people inside of um inside of buddhism who are doing just that and um i i'm on a i'm on an interfaith board and uh when i was talking about something and it's a social justice organization and one of the rabbis who's who's another board member came up to me and goes you're the first buddhist i ever met who didn't just sit and meditate and i'm like you're hanging out with the wrong people um and because there are so many and Bhikkhu Bodhi and Bhante Analio um you know so many people who are just just saying we have to get out there and Angel Kyoto Williams and and Lama Rod Owens and across all all uh lineages it yeah that's what that's what inspires me both the women and the men uh, doing this work and, and across the spectrum, you know, again, just it's 
there's so many, I, I worked very closely for a while with Irina Weissman, who was a student of Ruth Dennison. And um, it's, I'm inspired by the people who take these teachings and help to make a difference in the world. Very inspired by that. Absolutely. And I think that, okay, so two things. Whenever I get kind of stuck in my head about a lot of this, um, I actually go to a talk that Jack Cornfield did um, a long time ago, and it's called The Feminine in Buddhism. And it was for a fundraiser they were doing for the Shugsep Nunnery. And, you know, he talks about a lot of the stuff. And I, I always draw from Thich Nhat Hanh and Sister Chen Kong and, um, because the social justice piece is so entwined. And I just wanted to hit on one thing. My aunt posted today on Facebook talking about, you know, that women are the ones that hold it all together and, and make it progress. Um, my aunt posted today on Facebook that husband and I have a cold. The only difference is I'm cleaning the kitchen and he's dying. And, you know, I, I, I know this to be true. I have seen this with my, like this I have seen, you know. Um, thus have so I it, heard. Yes, yes, thus have I heard, thus have I seen, yep. And so I really feel like it, it is the women that, that are the drivers of this. And, you know, I, so in, in my other life, I do very different things. And, you know, I, I felt very much in an audit a couple of weeks ago, I felt very much like, um, like the story that you, the story that I heard about women, a, a woman going and seeking enlightenment. And she went to the top of the mountain to meet with um, a Buddhist nun and say, you know, I'd like to meet, I, I, I'm, I want to reach enlightenment. And the nun like started chasing her and, and hitting her with a, with a broom kind of thing. And was like, now, 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 now. And I felt like that during the audit because they were like, well, you know, we've had discussions and we've had meetings. And I'm like, what actions are you taking? What are you actually, I need to know what you're doing. I don't want to hear about meetings. I don't want to hear about discussions. What are you doing? They still don't know, but yeah. And that's kind of how I feel about, you know, where women are in Buddhism is like, I don't want to hear about the discussion. I don't want to hear about the, the meetings. I want to know what it is you're doing. So I feel like that's what we came here today. And there's so many things, like I said, that we can touch on as far as um, representation and um, you know, like we were talking about before, just uh, trying to find, like, why do we have to search for, um, for women? Why do we have to search for female leaders? Um, and then getting into trans, the transgender, um, you know, non-binary, um, there's um, people of color. It just, um, it needs to be more apparent. I don't know if that's the right word I'm looking for, but um, it shouldn't have to be so hidden. Um, and I, I think that that's part of what we're, you know, what kind of our goal is, is bringing all of this to the light. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Um, well, I'd like to wrap up here. Um, and I feel like we just we just started this. Um, so I'd like to continue this series and get a little bit more into some other parts of it. And I'd also like to bring on some other people um, with us to discuss more of this. So uh, anything anybody wanted to finish with today? I just want to point out that that's Tenzin that you hear barking in the background. Um, for those who are interested to research the lives of um, great female Buddhists, uh, there is a book by Bhikkhu Bodhi called Great Disciples of the Buddha, and half of them are um, householder yogi, yoginis and nuns like um, Lavana, Sangamitra, um, uh, Mahapajapati, Padachara, um, and also the Queen of Tibet, Yeshe Sogyal, um, Ma Magic Lapron, a mother of five, who was a yogini, um, Jomo Menmo. So there's many great female saints. Um, and, it, you know, in modern times, um, that book called Knee Deep in Grace by, uh, oh, she was Bengali, um, Deepama. Yeah, so there's many contemporary and historical um, you know, inspired female voices. Awesome. Well, thank you all for being here today. I really, really appreciate it. And um, and hopefully we'll discuss more about this very soon. Mary, did you want, have anything to add? No, I was just going to say thank you. Thank you. Holly? Nope, that's everything. <laughs> all right. And for those that are, if we're going to put this up on YouTube, uh, you'll be seeing some of our animals on <laughs> the screen and hearing some of them as well. <laughs> they, they also wanted to be a part of this today. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody. Take care. Thank you. Ciao.